0: Hey everybody, this is Chris Clausen, and welcome to the Tinnitus Manifesto Podcast, where we talk about all things related to musicians and hearing. It's part one of my interview with co-host for the show, Dr. Rebecca Groom. She's an audiologist who works in one of the most musical areas in one of the most musical cities in the world, and that would be Nashville. She does a lot of work with musicians when it comes to everything from in-ear monitors to tinnitus management. If you're a musician and you just want to have some idea of what you can expect when you see an audiologist, or if you just want to learn a few things about protecting your hearing, stick around. The Tinnitus Manifesto. Uh, More than a million listeners. But hey, let's make that that the goal, to save one billion cochlear hairs. I I think it's amazing. And I think it's achievable. I do too. Right. I think it is. You know, there's uh, so much you know, just the small things like anything. It's a little things that you can do to just sort of save, you know, protect yourself a little bit more so that you can hear better for longer, right? Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. So that's the goal. Welcome to the Tinnitus Manifesto. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Groom about her, sort of from her perspective as an audiologist, the particular care that is required or the different things that you kind of need to do or you like to do when you're interacting with musicians compared to the mere mortals with hearing loss. Right?
1: <laughs> give yep. me just
0: a little background. Go ahead and just sort of give me a rundown.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I bought my practice, Ears for You Hearing Services, uh, five years ago. There was a man retiring, and he um, was trying to essentially offload his practice to make sure there's a provider there to continue patient care. He had been in business, I think, 34 years when he retired. And um, so I bought my office just because I was a rep for a hearing aid manufacturer. I was on the road. I had kids. And my husband and I lived here in Nashville, and I just really wanted um, not to be traveling anymore. And so, um, yeah, this office. I had been watching for a bit, and when he was finally ready, it just kind of worked out that um, we come we came to an agreement, and I I took ownership. Now the crazy thing of that, there's a lot of crazy things about that. Number one, I did not go to school to be a business owner; I went to school yeah. to be an audiologist. So there was a big learning curve there. Right. Um, the second thing that was kind of surprising is it's in Nashville, Tennessee. I just assumed that everyone here would kind of know how to handle musicians because it, you're you guys are a unique crowd of people like
0: yeah yeah right.
1: yeah so different needs different different issues popping up
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know we're navigating a different uh demographic yeah. than I was used to you know coming from the hearing aid side of things so yeah I I was really slapped in the face with not only Running a business, but right. I had this huge influx of musicians coming in with a lot of concerns that I wasn't prepared to um, accommodate.
0: Well, you're in a—I mean, just the location of that office. You're right; you're surrounded by probably literally 30 uh, recording studios. You're in Berry Hill in Nashville, which is Correct. there are some very well-known, very respected uh, studios. Literally, uh, yeah. probably 20 or 30 of them within a couple blocks of you.
1: Correct. Uh, Yeah. And that was, that was the thing is people were just like popping in being like, Hey, I'm around the corner doing this. Can you help with this? And I'm like, Oh, um, yeah, right. I got to educate myself on this and I just wasn't prepared, but, um, I very instantly had to throw myself into educating in a whole different class of thought process and, um, clinical procedures that I wasn't used to. So
0: what are the differences (laughs) that you oh. have
1: to <laughs> right. Yeah, I have to be Jekyll and Hyde essentially. Um okay, so the first thing is wax removal. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of audiologists will not perform wax removal. Right. Now I did a lot of training in the VA, and so you have to, you have to, you know, be proficient at that. Right. But a lot of audiologists really don't feel comfortable. So I had to buy a lot of equipment and mm-hmm. I had to essentially get comfortable with um with wax removal that was the first thing. Right. The second thing is um usually musicians are not very educated with general medical dialogue.
0: Right, right.
1: And so I remember even without even before getting into the musician audiology mindset there were so many times musicians would come in here for impressions and say things to me that Flat out aren't true, and so number one, I had to curb my initial reaction of immediately correcting that. Okay. Um,
0: right, right.
1: Be- because I'm five foot zero, I I look like I'm twelve to most people, <laughs> and they don't believe me.
0: It, well which is there's that too and they're also i mean that's uh, you know i will speak for myself as a musician going into an audiologist it's a nerve-wracking experience right correct yeah and, their and anxiety
1: this, is on a 10
0: exactly i mean this is again back this is why we're doing this podcast we're putting a musician with a shitty hearing and an audiologist in a conversation just to sort of get rid of some of that some of that stigma we are like, we're like that's why yeah. we're here to break some of that but it is true i mean i'll, I'll be the first to admit it you go in you almost feel like the audiologist is judging you like you're going to fail a test, all those kinds of, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the baggage you have to deal with when a musician comes in uh, to your office. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, a tinnitus is a big topic too, with musicians. Yeah, right. Um Historically they've all been told it is what it is and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, You know, there was, Taking impressions on a musician is different than taking an impression on a hearing aid patient. We need a much deeper impression. We All need right. a full oh, wow. helix lock. You know, there's very specific instructions. I'm sure multiple musicians who are listening have gone someplace to get an impression for an inner monitor, and the inner monitor company rejects that impression. And it's because when it's- we do impressions for hearing aids, it's, it's a different thought. It's a different we don't uh, need to get the full ear when we're doing them. Right. you know, I do it anyways now. Cause that's my habit. With but a hearing a big aid. One. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't so, have
0: to, but with, with ear monitors, you need to, it needs to be need a the sort of a deeper. Block. You
1: need the second bend. I want to know uh, exactly past that second bend. Does your ear canal go straight up? Because they're putting a speaker right in your ear. And if they're yeah. pointing it at a slope and it's hitting your ear canal, then you're going to get an intermittent monitor.
0: Ah, yeah, so interesting. Yeah,
1: that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, usually with my hearing aid patients, I I try to be a little bit more reserved, um, a right. little bit more, quote unquote, professional. Uh but, um, I feel like with musicians, the easiest way for me is just come in there and crack a joke or, um, you know, ask them like, what are your goals today? Or, you know, what are you doing with this? And when you, when you're singing, are you making a funny face? And that kind of, you know, a lot of times they're like, well, why are you asking that? I'm like, well, because I want to know what your face is going to be doing when you have these in your ear.
0: Right. Cause it might alter.
1: Yeah. So it kind of opens the door of like, Hey, I, I, I do know some of the issues that you might be having. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kind of opens the door. Like, do you want to talk about that? Right. So, and that is a question I ask too. Like, Hey, you're just here for impressions. You have my attention for the next 15 minutes. Is there anything you want to talk about?
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, And this is one thing I have thought about because you, you do sort of have to walk this line. You're not a therapist, you're hearing you're an audiologist, right? <laughs> you know, people well, coming in. I feel in, like
1: sometimes I, am I that's what I mean. But... <laughs> and, and right.
0: And uh it again, as a musician coming in, they're in this, you know, just the fact that they're coming in, especially if they're not there to get in ear monitors, if they're there to get tested or there because they have a concern, right? They're already, it's like you know already a little bit anxious and they' and and again this it's the psychological stuff right that the baggage right. that they carry in with it with them and I and you know that's one thing I uh, you must have some challenge with that where you're dealing with you know the emotional part of a person uh not just their ear you're dealing with you know that to some extent these people think your live their lives are in your hand their musical lives are in your hand right yeah yeah I mean
1: it's really challenging. Yeah.
0: For them. Scary for both for, you know, for them. Uh, and I, you know, you understand that like, so like you've gotten better at this, like you said, when you, uh, you know, got this office here in Nashville, that was one of the, you know, just adjusting to the personality of musicians and their needs compared to say, again, those mere mortals. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, also your language is different.
0: So, um, yeah,
1: you know, my hearing aid patients don't come in and talk about pitch and frequency and dynamic range and tuning, but musicians do. They right. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. yesterday I had someone come in. Um, He's been wanting his hearing tested for a very long time. And one of his friends had just been in here. So word of mouth, they said, go see Dr. Grom. He walked in, he sat down in my chair and he said, I'm pretty sure I have like something going on at 2000 Hertz in my left ear. But my right ear, I'm assuming it's probably around 9,000 hertz. And I'm like, OK, well, challenge accepted. Let's see. Let's see how close Let's you are.
0: Test. Yeah, how was it? And
1: uh, sure enough, he was almost right on.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Each musician profile is very distinct. Like when you say I'm sending a drummer to you and I'm like, okay. oh, OK click so track you, yay can't wait oh, click track, right. <laughs> whereas like a bassist it's like uh-huh. i'm anyone playing bass you know bass people love to hear themselves they love being like so loud and feeling it and i'm like okay you're over amplified that's great you're right whereas it's true lead singers always popping an ear out you know because they yeah. can't hard. it's like right. okay <laughs> uh,
0: that is true now it's uh it's uh Frank Zappa wrote an autobiography many years ago, but he sort of one chapter was just about all the different musicians in an orchestra and their personality traits. Oh, I need to read fun. that book. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. There are definitely particular, not just, you know, personality traits, but also hearing and what they need and that kind of thing. Right. Oh yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
1: There. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when I, when I started here, I'm, it wasn't even six months where I flew up to sense Phonics in Chicago and was hounded on Mike Santucci up there to kind of give me his wisdom. Because, again, I it, it, in Nashville, I just assumed everyone, all the providers here would be doing everything that needed to be done for musicians. And I found that wasn't true. Okay.
0: So, right.
1: you know, when I, I bought the office, I had to buy all new equipment, essentially, yeah. too. Because um, I was getting hearing tests after hearing tests after hearing tests. After hearing tests. From another provider in town or a hospital system in town where they were going and asking for help with a certain complaint, it, mainly tinnitus, mainly ringing in the ears, mainly right. um, difficulty understanding a noise. And I'm getting an 8000 hertz hearing test. I'm like, OK, where's your extended high frequencies? I mean, that, right. that should be yeah. a standard test battery with musicians right. um, because noise exposure doesn't always present itself below eight k. And so, you know, just kind of navigating, like, what is the best protocol for musicians when they come into the office and, and getting myself educated to be set up to essentially navigate those more challenging conversations, right. because, you know, it, it, it's not easy. And if it were yeah. easy, everyone probably would have been doing it. Yeah. So, right. yeah, so it was a, it was definitely a learning curve for me. And I, I promise you, I learned something new every day. Mm-hmm. at work specifically with musicians um but i think i'm i think i'm getting a little better
0: five years there's a uh learning curve even in musicians of of understanding what frequencies are like you know and and of course in this whole thing when we're talking we're not just talking about musicians we're talking about producers sound engineers anyone uh, with noise exposure anyone yeah anyone anyone yeah uh who deal who is dealing professionally with sound in that way yeah uh, So that, you know, there that's, it's a more general term. Musician is- Yeah, I use
1: musician as anyone in the music industry. Agreed, Mm -hmm. exactly.
0: Uh, What would you suggest audiologists need to do? And what do you suggest musicians need to do to sort of get that bridge a little closer, to get the uh, communication a little easier?
1: Well, I think audiologists, you know, there's a lot of different placements for us to work in. Now, I have full flexibility over my decisions as an audiologist because I'm in private practice and that yeah. practice is owned by me.
0: Right. Um,
1: but if you are an audiologist working in an ear, nose and throat setting,
0: you have to answer to other people.
1: Correct. And you are not in charge of what equipment you have most, right. most the time, most of the time mm-hmm. you are not having the conversation with the patient most of the time. Right. Um. Because they're going in and they're getting a very quick 15 minute hearing test from the audiologist and then being shoveled over to the ENT. Right. So some audiologists. I've been there.
0: I've been there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're just not a, they're not in control of their schedule. They're yeah. not in control of being able to sit down and saying, oh, you're a musician and you have these concerns or you have noise exposure and you have these concerns. Here's here's what we should be doing. They just don't have the opportunity to do that. I think one thing in audiology that I have seen historically is we love hoarding our own patients. We love making sure that we are the expert and that we are keeping our patients as close as we can because of all the competition. Right. Um, but not every provider has the same skill set. So I think the best thing for audiologists to improve on is to find your own areas of weakness, right, and have the confidence to go out and network with those who may have strengths in those areas of your weakness, right, that way you can refer someone to someone else who might have a different skill set.
0: It takes a a level of confidence, self confidence to be willing to do that too, right?
1: And teamwork. Yeah. So Yeah, it's same thing. Whenever anyone calls my office and asks, and I do this all the time, I'm terrible at taking notes. I'm terrible at writing my reports. I keep it all in my head, which, you know, that's not great because that's going. But (laughs) so anytime anyone calls my office and is like, oh, yeah, I'm actually at this ENT. Can you fax over my chart notes? Right. I'm like, oh, crap. They're going to see something in there that they don't agree with and they are going to judge me.
0: Okay. right, right.
1: But then I have to remember, Mm -hmm. you know what? they might not know why I did that test. Um, So number one, I need to work on my documentation. And number two, they might be looking for something completely different than the reason that person was in my office.
0: Right. Right.
1: So, but as, as, as audiologists, we really don't have that. We all know each other, (laughs) but we all don't enjoy sending our patients elsewhere.
0: Okay. And that, that, uh, so My thought was, you know, when you you brought up this topic is maybe musicians are better off seeing private practitioners instead of going to a larger hospital to get tested or a larger ENT. Like maybe that's, you know, not necessarily
1: just, you know, just kind of do some research on who um, is proficient.
0: Yeah, In right.
1: musician-based products, so right. if you I, and again, I'm going to talk about Sensophonics. Like if you go to Sensophonics, they're an in-ear monitor company. They have trained audiologists that we have had to go through their educational program, okay, to be able to be a, a provider for them.
0: Yeah, to provide to pre- prescribe so, that. that. G-
1: yeah, go online and do mm. some research about who are the in-ear monitor companies sending you to for impressions. Okay. call up that place and say, Hey, are you also proficient at testing? Are you, do you specialize in tinnitus? Do you, who, if, if you don't specialize in tinnitus, who in town is the go-to for tinnitus? Right. You know, just ask those questions. Um, I know I get a lot of referrals from my Google reviews just because people are commenting like, Oh, I've had tinnitus and Dr. Grom listened. So right. that in itself has brought in a lot of, a lot of patients, but Yeah, I think um, I think musicians just don't really know how to navigate that um, because it is a a unique mindset, essentially. So
0: in retrospect, and again, I'd never you know, like I said, this is just sort of crystallizing a thought that I didn't hadn't really thought about. But I know speaking for myself as a musician, as someone, you know, and again, just more sort of emotionally connected to my hearing, I think for me, uh, I prefer the smaller, the local, you know, the independent uh, yeah. group, as opposed to, like you said, going, you, you get tested, and then you get sent to the N T and then you get sent to someone else, and you get sent to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when it comes to musicians, yeah, uh, in particular, we really want people to know, right, more deeply, yeah. us as people, and what our hearing issues are, and, and that. You know, that's where I I think, you know, a little more sort of individual attention, if given the choice, I would recommend that over going to a larger facility. Uh, That's, again, my personal thought.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to discredit any provider at an ENT or a large hospital system, because a lot of times you take the job that you can get. You know, again, if you're tied to a city, you you do what you, you need to do to work. Yeah. And sometimes they're just mm-hmm. not afforded the follow up and the opportunity to to have these really challenging conversations to learn. Yeah,
0: um,
1: And there are definitely times where I'm sitting with someone and I'm like, you know what, you're in the wrong office because I'm going to have to send you to an ENT because, you know, for you talk about you station tube dysfunction. That's very common with musicians. We're we're dealing with TMJ. That's okay. another you know, big conversation that we have, Interesting. um, you know, sometimes there's medical things that pop up that right. need addressed sudden hearing loss. I cannot treat sudden hearing loss. I can do your test and I can refer you over to, um, the hospital system right. and tell you, do not walk out of there until you get your trans tympanic steroid injection. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, right, Because but, it, you yeah, know I can't, I can't that's an do that. Right? Yeah. You, uh, you're yeah. talking about infection in the ear, possibly. Yeah, sometimes kind of like thing. a
1: viral infection, sudden hearing right. losses need to be treated within within 48 hours.
0: Yeah, or you're screwed. And that, and right. just and that's a good bit of information to you musicians out there to uh yeah. don't sit if, on it.
1: Musicians it, are great at not doing anything for a amen. long time.
0: Not, oh, we're terrible
1: flushing their ears out for two weeks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For, oh, for yeah. you, for the listeners out there, if you do notice something fairly sudden in particular about hearing loss, get in and get, get it with in. that go. And that is one thing don't too. I'll always
1: squeeze someone in for a sudden hearing loss. That's like that, that's that's right. an emergency situation. So. It is
0: exactly right. Because it doesn't matter. Know.
1: That's, that's one of those, like, Hey, you don't eat lunch that day and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. Cause, and again, we're trying to save those billion hearing, uh, billion cochlear hairs. Billion
1: hair cells. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm so um, push. And I am pushy. I'm going to say it. I am a pushy provider when it comes to getting a baseline hearing test. One of the things that really, um, And I try to tone this down. I'm going to get my blood pressure up here. (laughs) I really don't enjoy when people come to me for um, impressions or wax removal from the music industry and don't get a baseline hearing test. I have a a very hard time with that. And I I have a scary story, but I did have someone who um, I got a little pushy with because I was doing his impressions and he's telling me all these issues that he's having. And I'm like, okay, well, why are you spending money? on a, in ear monitor system. And you don't even know if it's doing its job. And so, you know, we went back and forth and back and forth and I got called a few names, but he ended up in the booth and I got a baseline hearing test on him. And sure enough, nine months later, he woke up one morning, and could not hear out of his ear, left ear. And he was having a heart attack. So he calls the office, you know, just, obviously this is very traumatic for him singer yeah. songwriter he has right. a whole lineup of stuff to do over the weekend and he comes in and sure enough he has low frequency sudden sensory neural hearing loss in the left ear i would not be able to know that if i didn't have that baseline hearing test
0: right yeah exactly and then you know you're you're giving a misdiagnosis you're giving bad prescription because you don't have those details
1: Correct. And what is an ear nose and throat physician going to say? I don't know. You know, do you know what I mean? Like they're not going to squeeze someone in last minute if there's not documented proof that there right. has been a change in hearing. Right. Because I don't know if anyone's called an ENT recently, but you can't get in for four to six months.
0: Okay. So, yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: So okay. if if we're going to be squeezing someone in last minute, we have to have that proof for the ENT clear cut. This is the baseline. This is today. This needs to happen immediately.
0: So, uh, yeah, so in general, that's one of the first things you always want to do with a musician is give them, you know, when they first walk in, give them a hearing test, whatever it is they're trying to get, right? If they're coming in for an in-ear monitor, you want to give them baseline a and again, all right? Yep. and what's the point, like you said, you know, how can you EQ a monitor, in-ear monitor the way you need it if you don't know what you're... What well,
1: you're, also, you know, musicians come them. in and say, you know, I'm getting this in-ear monitor, They they view it as hearing protection. It can be hearing protection. Mm -hmm. It can reduce the amount of noise coming in your ear. Mm -hmm. But the output of an in-ear monitor is just as high, if not higher, than most of the hearing aids that I fit.
0: Right, right. So,
1: yes, we're isolating you from external noise. But but you don't want
0: to blow them out either.
1: Yeah. How loud is your pack? What are you keeping it at? And yeah. especially when people go from no in-ears to their first pair of in-ears, or they go from an ill-fitting pair to a new tight-fitting pair, um, they lose that um, kind of general external awareness. They lose that feeling of performing <clears throat> on the stage. They feel right. isolated. Yes. And so they crank up their pack.
0: Well, that's the most common complaint, or the, the in my experience talking to musicians, that's one of the biggest things they don't like about inner monitors right because it is it's an isolating isolating because you're hearing the only sound you're hearing is coming from the monitor there's no you're not hearing the speaker right you're not hearing your your amp you know maybe you can stand in front of the the bass speakers and you feel the vibration behind you but still the sound is only coming from that your feed from from the feed right yeah so We're going to get into this topic a lot in future episodes. Just the the neurological malleability of the brain, right? When when you first when people, I know in my experience when I get a new hearing aid getting a different hearing aid <laughs> it's, it's months for me to adjust to the thing yeah, right it, it takes a bit it, of time it, it doesn't matter how good it is like it, yeah. it, you know uh it's my brain that needs to adjust and it's the same way with musicians when they get those in ear monitors you're used to being on stage and having and again this excitement this aliveness in your sound that you hear in environmentally right and yeah. there's also just there's reflection refraction there's all this you know bouncing off the wall and that, that's what gives it the sound gives a lot of life to sound. Yeah. Uh so when you put in your in-ear monitors, you're not getting any of that any of that, right? Correct. So yeah. do you find this to be a challenge in getting musicians to actually use in-ear monitors like because of this?
1: Um <laughs> I think it's a challenge in getting them to use them appropriately. Okay. Also from an I am looking at this exclusively from a hearing conservation standpoint. Um that's where there's a disconnect
0: Yeah, because
1: (laughs) every aspect of where I'm coming from is how do we reduce the, um, the stress or the load on -hmm. your ear so you can prevent damage from happening and um, continue to do this long-term.
0: Yes. So there has to be a sacrifice a little bit, right?
1: Well, not always, but yeah, you know, especially in the beginning, it might seem like a sacrifice. Right. I would say it's more of a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some people don't have the luxury of a monitor engineer or a sound guy to work with. Yeah, So, you know, that's a big part of it, too. It's not just me and the, and the per- musician. It's we got a team of people that we have to communicate with.
0: Right. Um,
1: so that, you know, understanding that language and having those conversations and how involved do I need to be and how involved is that monitor engineer? want me to be involved. You know, you know that's a that's a little bit of a song and dance as well. So Right. Yeah.
0: So uh you actually do work with with you know our, our, with production companies or labels, right? Like so they might reach out and say, "Hey, we've got this band and we want to have them all tested and just, you know, uh you do that kind of thing, right? Where you I do. Uh, yeah, and,
1: usually that's that's um, like management. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so so managers. Then, mm-hmm. Now,
0: this seems uh It made when you told me this, I was actually very happy to hear, like when you you'd mentioned that a while back and at one point or another in a conversation. And I thought, wow, thank finally, like that the people in the business actually give a shit about their musicians. Right. And they care. about. (laughs) You know what I mean? It sounds silly, but like, but like. What a concept. Let's try to protect our our you know, musicians ears, let's, these people that we're, that are working for us that are making us money for this label or whatever, let's make sure that they can, that that they're healthy, right? It's just like any other, any other business making sure that they're, they're, you know, that their workers are healthy. It's, it's, Uh, it's so obvious. You almost can't believe it, right? Like, of course, why, of course, management or record labels or whatever should be trying to encourage their artists, their players, their musicians to, to make sure that they
1: yeah, to yeah. be educated on hearing health.
0: And yeah. what's your experience with educated
1: that educated by a audiologist
0: or yeah, a healthcare not a manager.
1: provider <laughs> hearing right. health. Yeah, let's like the deep dark internet is just not the place. Yeah. And no. So and so sound guy at so-and-so studio should not be giving advice on um right. on you know, hearing conservation. Yeah. Some managers are very um easy to work with and communicative with me right. about um they really have their Uh, band's best interest at heart and so that is always such a good experience when i get a phone call from um i'm thinking of one in particular just the dialogue between us Mm -hmm. when he runs into issues with his his band members right is is great like i'm always like please email me if you have a question or a concern or you're running into a consistent issue
0: right
1: even just even if it's you don't want my opinion as an audiologist it's just another set of eyes on it
0: yeah yeah totally yeah right
1: it could be Uh, something so small that you've just knocked your head you know against the wall about fifty thousand times and you just a fresh perspective
0: mm -hmm. do you uh so in those experiences when you so what happens do they actually do like will just all the band members just come in or do you meet them on you know do you do you go to maybe where to to
1: uh, um, it, de- it depends rehearsing I do, or whatever that kind
0: of yeah, thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do end up, um, at, uh, rehearsal studios. Right. Often. Um, I don't mind doing that because right. I will take any sort of time in front of a musician to try to educate them. Right. Um, you know, it's just more challenging to do things offsite than it is in, in my office. Okay. Um, but yes, Um, sometimes they will have, they'll trickle in, you know, they'll be in town for a month rehearsing. And so they'll just trickle in over the month. Sometimes, you know, I have to drop everything and go on a Tuesday morning down to sound check and knock out, you know, 15 impressions and 10 hearing tests and
0: all that stuff.
1: It just depends.
0: And the response of the musicians, what are they, what uh, are they usually happy to be doing this stuff or are they you know, again, it's sort of is. Are they intimidated? <laughs> are they, you know, all? Uh, are um, they getting graded? Well, Do they feel like they're getting graded by the teacher?
1: Um, most of them are very pleasant. You know, there's always some bad apples that I would just love to smack, but I um, <laughs> yeah, okay. refrain from that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, um, I look at it as if someone's sitting there because they were told to be there, and they don't want to participate. That's their choice. I can't right.
0: change that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I can, at that point, I usually just don't talk a lot and I just do my thing and continue on. But if they want to engage with me, I, I will absolutely engage.
0: Okay. So if they want to engage with you, you are uh, like, they ask you, okay, what things can I do to just sort of protect my hearing and control tinnitus? What are your first answers? You know, a musician, you're giving them advice on how to protect their ears. What are the, like, maybe top, five, four, whatever things that you recommend for musicians in general?
1: Um, well, I would love for it to be an easy five things, but I would say I need a lot more information before I give them a recommendation. Okay. So most common situation comes up where I'm, again, doing an impression off-site and someone just is like, oh, yeah, I'm ringing in my ears and there's nothing you can do about it, and da 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 da, da. And so I say, well, there are things that you can do about it. And um, you know, what, you know, I ask them, when did it start? What does it sound like? It is it is it even in both ears? Um, what, how, what brand of in ear are you in? That way, I kind of know EQ wise what's going on. What okay. is your feed? Uh, right. What do you listen to in your feed? Because if you're pounding out a 4K click track, right, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we might have a problem there. So, no. you know, what what level do you keep your pack at? How long is your show? Are you standing stage left or stage right? right? Um All outside? that should matter.
0: So all those things matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like do your ears ring after a concert or are are you feeling pretty isolated? Do you take mm-hmm. one out and leave one in? um outside of your it seems standards. to be a common
0: thing that that yeah. is something i see on stage is again yeah. people are wearing like headphones and they'll have they'll be playing with you know just a little bit off and then like just so they can kind of control the the out the outboard sound compared to the you know
1: i feel like, like it's more common with sound. musicians just from an occlusion standpoint you know they it's hard right. for them to hear themselves normally
0: right, right. when they right. have
1: you know in-ear in your monitors and but yeah no i mean those are all things that i ask and then i always just say like hey you know there are definitely things that you can do for tinnitus it, it depends on when it bothers you it depends on you know if it's an awareness or a reaction i use that phrase a lot i'm okay with an awareness it's mm-hmm. there right i'm not okay with the reaction so yeah. if it, it hurts my belly it gives me anxiety i can't sleep or I right. have to drink because it takes yeah. my mind off of that. You know, those are reactions right. to tinnitus,
0: um, and that turns into a, a cycle, kind of a it cycle of a different cycle. things. Yeah, yeah, because you get anxious, and then I know from my my experience with tinnitus, right? The more upset you get about it, the more you notice it, right? Correct. And, and you, it, it's a vicious cycle, right? Yep. Where you as soon start as it hits your limbic to, system,
1: yep, yeah, yeah, it gets, it, it gets in there. It
0: mm-hmm. just and it amplifies. It's it's a it's a feedback loop almost. Right. Correct, yeah. Uh, so
1: yeah, so that I mean you usually from there, once I get a little bit more information, if I can recommend like, hey, just maybe try having your sound guy move your click to a different frequency or maybe use a burst or maybe you know, maybe your in ears don't fit right. so maybe we can I can bring my Dremel over and we can modify it a bit or you know, maybe you, you can use a comply wrap to help with the fit and then right. from there see if you still have ringing, you know, if it bothers you at night, here's some sound therapy things that we recommend, but ultimately it always boils down to, you need to see someone for a 20 K extended high frequency baseline hearing test, because outside of that, I don't know what's going on in there.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, and you won't have any, you won't even have a starting point really to, to work from until you, you get that test, the high frequency test, right?
1: Yeah. To to me, I mean, I, I can't really say anything medically unless I kind of know where your thresholds are.
0: So. so a musician, producer, whatever it is, come in, they have hearing loss, they have tinnitus. And again, it could just be one example, but sort of, you know, how did you, uh, how did you help them adapt their ability to record and produce? Like what advice do you give them?
1: Yeah. Um, the First one I'm thinking of uh, he is a fiddle player. for country music artist and um he came in the office for in-ears and so i'm doing his impressions and you know same conversation you know do is there anything you want to talk to me about and then you know it turns into well i don't think i can hear very well and you know i have my in-ears turned all the way up because they don't fit very well and you know i'm bringing my ears it's been there forever and i'm like Mm -hmm. well why don't you get in the booth so we tested him up you know just like not not good hearing um so then I have to show him
0: right. on a
1: big giant computer screen yeah. and it, you know, it looks like a, it looks it's like it, a ski slope. Yeah. <laughs> and right. people like, just, like
0: mine does. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: They just immediately panic, you know? So I had to say, you know what? You told me that you had hearing loss. You already, you already knew this. You just right. didn't know how severe it was. Yeah. yeah. So this, I know this is shocking because you are visualizing it versus mm-hmm. hearing it. Yeah. But you know, so we navigated what that looks like. And then I said, you know, based on this, we need to talk about treating it from a performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. And let's focus that there because that's why you came into my office. You came in for new in-ear monitor impressions. So, um, you know, can I work with your sound guy or you know, who, who do I need to talk to to kind of help you get your new in-ears up and running? Once we do that, The other conversation I would like to have with you down the road is working on correcting this for your personal life and your social life. Right. So I'm not going to say the word HA right now. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm only going to use the term amplification. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, but you H-A know, we. Have-
0: meaning hearing aid, our, our uh, listeners. Like, uh, no one, uh, 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 even as an audio, even as someone who's been wearing from 20 years, I don't like the term hearing aid. I think it, you know. How about ears? Wear glasses. Um, ears. I call them digitals or Digital. hearables. Yeah, right. Uh. You know, they call them glasses, they don't call them eye aids, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's just a st- whatever. Uh, it's but yeah air candy. It's, it's it's a scare you know hearing that that phrase hearing aid, yeah. people you know especially musicians they just run scream. oh yeah
1: <laughs> totally understand i totally understand yeah yeah so um yeah so i this specific musician put me in touch with his audio engineer and i sent his audio or monitor engineer
0: mm-hmm. his
1: um hearing test and we talked, he he was asking me a lot about how do you EQ this? And I was like, remember, you know, when you are providing gain, we're not, we're not, if you have a 40 dB hearing loss, we're not putting 40 dB back in. It's a half gain rule. So, you right. know, we navigated that conversation and I was like, you know, just give, give him a little bit of an EQ of, you know, I gave him all the different thresholds where there was loss. And I really wish they would have gotten this on video, but I had a a different band member of his come in a little bit later and said, yeah, we had rehearsal the other day and uh, the audio engineer did the EQ that you recommended and uh, -and so-and-so got his new in-ears and he played fiddle and just started crying because he said he hasn't heard his fiddle like that in like 20 years. So just See, like a, so you cool. know that's like right. great. And so, yeah. you know, I don't know if it affects his performance, I don't know what affects his music enjoyment, but like right. the fact that he um heard more like he remembers it in his head.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And, yeah. and uh, so and again, so basically what what this is is it, <clears throat> this is why you emphasize again why it's important to get that base hearing test, right? Because you can the the, the uh inner monitors can be EQ'd like a hearing aid, right? It can be EQ'd for your loss, right? So yeah, like mm-hmm. I said, maybe this, you know, I don't know, the fiddle player has loss in the, in 4,000 K, right? You don't want to just boost all the levels, right? You can just give the 4K back. So <clears throat> you're yeah. EQing the in mon- inner monitor in a way mm-hmm. that's not in- unlike, it's just more complementary to the way you hear, right?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, That, uh, you know, and the beauty of that, too, is if you're wearing in your monitors, you can do so anywhere you play, at least you have the same starting point, right? Because if you go to a different club and you have a different monitor in front of you, stage monitor, you have, it sounds different every time, but at least if you're in your monitors, every stage you're on, it's going to sound relative, pretty much the same, right? Uh, I mean, ideally that's the the goal. That's the goal, right. There's an adjustment level for people getting in-ear monitors and that kind of thing. This is, and again, is me speaking to musicians, because I know they do, there is this sort of, they first get them, they kind of don't like them, they kind of wish they could be back to just being on stage and having everything just yell at them. Uh, yeah. There is a time, we've talked about this before, just sort of the baseline where your brain adapts and learns how to hear this this way now. And mm-hmm. it takes time, right? And there's right. a comfort level, there's an adapt uh, adjustment level uh, that needs to happen. Um, so, okay. that's it for part one check out part two of the tinnitus manifesto interview with audiologist and co-host for the podcast dr rebecca Grome. if you want to find out more show support or just reach out you can find us at the and on all the socials my name is chris claus and thanks y'all and don't burn those cochlear hairs